Hi, and thanks for joining in on the Pastor's Class Podcast. Whether you missed a week of class or just want to re-listen to a message, this is the resource for you. Be sure to visit our website at pastorsclass.org for any other information you might need. We hope this message blesses you. And again, thank you for listening. All right, Acts chapter 13. Uh, We're going to start in verse 4 tonight and go through the end of the chapter. And recall from last week we saw the birth of the first all-inclusive Gentile Jew church in Antioch. And it was planted by uh, a bunch of nobodies. Uh, We talked about Simon called Niger and Lucius of Siren and Manine, who uh, was friends with King Herod and, of course, Paul and Barnabas. And we also talked about how, again, what we want to try to do is be that church, uh, that world-changing church. And if we're going to be that church, we also need to be able to answer, I believe, the call uh, that Jesus commanded in Matthew 5.14 when he was Uh, giving the Sermon on the Mount where he says that we are to be the light, uh, to be light in the dark. And I mean, if anything, a church, we the church, this class is a church, if anything, we should be a light into the world. Amen? Amen. And there's plenty of darkness to go around, is there not? Um, There was darkness back then, too, by the way. If you don't believe me, go read the Old Testament because we're reading through the Bible, as Jared mentioned, a bunch of people in this class. If you're not doing it, you should start. Um, And I will tell you, reading that Old Testament is no holds barred. You know, some rough stuff in there. There were a lot of dark times if you just go through the whole entire Old Testament. And today, darkness is still darkness. There's lots of darkness in the world. It's It's a broken, hurting place. But one of the things that I... I really love seeing and, and, and reading about is situations and instances where you see light being shined into the darkness. Uh, am I the only one? I enjoy it when I find somebody sends me something or I get to, to view something online and, and it's a beautiful picture of light shining in the darkness. It just makes me smile. And I, I came up with a couple that have been in the news uh, recently, one of them is in respect of the school shooting that happened in Kentucky the, this past uh, week, I believe. And there were two 15-year-olds who were killed. One of them was this young girl, Bailey Holt. And her mom had said that Bailey had called her uh, during the shooting and that she, the line was, was blank. She couldn't hear anything. And she was calling out Bailey's name and calling out Bailey's name, but she never responded and later found out that Bailey had died. But they interviewed the mom and dad and some family members and describing Bailey, her father, Jason, had just said she is, was perfect in every way. She was an angel here on earth, a perfect angel. And her mom said, I don't know if I can go to court and see this young boy that did this. I don't know if I can. I want, to, I want him to pay for everything he's done, but I also want to pray for him because I know he's probably having a hard time too. But he took our baby, he took my baby from me. And we are angry that this boy was suffering so much that he wanted to have others suffer as well. Whatever he had going through his mind, I don't know. But if he needed a friend, I know Bailey would have been a friend to him. And talked to him about anything he needed because that's just the kind of person that she was. And while we are angry that Bailey is never going to walk through that door again, 
we are also praising God because we know where she is at. And if given the opportunity to come back to this evil world, she would absolutely say no. Light. Bailey was obviously a light. Her mom and dad in the midst of just great heartache, shining light into a very, very dark situation. And I saw this other one. Jarrett mentioned the this whole trial that's been captivating the country of this gymnastic physician, uh, Larry Nasser, and uh, the first victim that came forward was a girl named Rachel. And I don't know if you read this, but she gave an impact statement, uh, and I think she may have been the last one that gave this statement. And as she's talking to this man that robbed her of so much in her life, these were her words. It says, The Bible you carry says it is better for a stone to be thrown around your neck and you thrown into a lake than for you to to make even one child stumble and you have damaged hundreds. The Bible you speak of carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you will experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience the true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. How about that? I mean, you're talking about shining light into a very dark situation. And when I was coming up with these stories that I wanted to tell, I was thinking to myself, man, these are not very cheery stories. They're really sad and kind of, you know, tug at your heart. But then I started thinking, you know, that's where light is needed, is in the darkness. You know, so I can't talk about shining light into a dark world without talking about darkness. And our call is to be that light. So tonight... I want to give us three things, three lessons that I hope we can learn from the early church that I think will help us be this light uh, into the dark world that we live in today. So we're going to, like I said, start in in verse 4, and this chapter is the start of what will be three missionary journeys that Paul and, and Barnabas, in this instance, take to go and take the gospel to the world. And this map just really shows you the three journeys uh, and where Paul goes and the different cities that he goes to. And uh, these three journeys take place over a period of about five years. Uh, in this, uh, tonight, we're going to see him go from Antioch, where the church was birthed, we talked about last week. You'll see to Cyprus, which is Barnabas's hometown, and uh, Pamphylia, and then we'll end up in uh, Pisidia uh, at the end of this chapter. And along the way, <clears throat> we're going to see a number of different things. Uh, we will first see that this is the chapter where Saul, or Paul, we all know him as, where Saul becomes Paul, becomes known as Paul. And uh, does anybody want to take a stab? Why, why do you think that, that Saul became Paul and now we know him going forward as Paul? Anybody? The Bible really doesn't tell us. Well, that's a really good answer. Uh, I don't know if it's his answer. It could be. He said that uh, an example that anybody could change. Yep. Could be, yeah. So 
Could be, yeah. Um, Saul was his Hebrew name and Paul was his Roman name. So some people have said that he started going by Paul so that he could better associate with the Gentiles. You know, I think it was in Corinthians where he said that I become all things to all people uh, for the sake of the gospel. So some people believe that's the case. Um, Like I said, it really doesn't say. The other thing that's very interesting, though, is that Saul means ask for or pray for, and Paul means little, small. So, you know, Paul obviously was one that talked a lot about humility, about putting Christ first, and about as he's smaller, God is bigger. So you could probably find a lesson in all of that, but... Like I said, there's no real answer. He could have went by either, but after this in the Bible is recorded that he goes by Paul. Also along the way, we see that when they get to uh, Paphos, which is really their first stop, they encounter this demon-possessed prophet, if you will, a false prophet. He was a magician that went by the name Bar-Jesus, and he was hanging out with some high-ranking Roman officials, probably his meal ticket. He was probably trying to get money off of them. And then Paul unexpectedly really delivers a a great sermon in Pisidia, which is heard by uh, Jews and Gentiles. So I'm going to try to read the whole chapter. If I don't need a drink of water in between, it's pretty long, okay? So I'm gonna gonna dive in here and I'm gonna read the whole thing and then we're gonna go back and look at, I think, three lessons uh, from the church, the early church that will help us uh, be a, a light into a dark world. So verse four. I've got so much writing on my Bible that it's hard for sometimes for me to see the words, but I'm going to give it a shot. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. This is John Mark, the one that was at the house when Peter was released uh, from the prison. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the preconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsulate away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, in verse 13, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos to, and came to Perga in Paphilia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So John Mark is gone. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, another Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, then say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hands, he delivers his sermon. It says this, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. 
The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And then with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, and man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. <clears throat> after this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus as he promised before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem... And their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they, looked, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As far and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he says, also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses." Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, argued them to continue in the grace of God or urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. 
And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing. And the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. There you go. That's a mouthful. All right. I got three things, though, that I want us to look at. Three lessons that I think we need to learn. Number one, and there's a handout I've got on the table for this as well. We cannot be that church, the church that we're trying to be, without the Holy Spirit. We cannot be that church without the Holy Spirit. It is absolutely not possible. If you look, I love that the very first thing that is said there in verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. We see down there in verse 9, it talked about uh, when he was coming against Bar-Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit. One thing that I found interesting, and I searched because I really couldn't believe this, honestly. But after this point in Acts, for the rest of Acts, and really for the rest of the Bible, with one exception in Ephesians where it says that you should not be drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit. Outside of that, there's not another, another context where it talks about being filled with the Spirit. Being equipped with the Spirit. Talks about all the things the Spirit does, but it never talks about that. And I only think that's interesting, not, not because it didn't occur, but because I want to make the point that this isn't just some repetitive term that just gets used over and over again. I think it's really important that it happens now. Because I think it is a critical first step to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things, an interesting verse, and turn over to John 16, because I think, you know, if you don't know where it's at, you should. Make sure you use your Bible, okay? They're all close together. We're going to turn a couple of pages. It's not that far. John 16, verse 7. This has always been an interesting verse to me. Always been an interesting verse. In 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, and he's talking to the disciples. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This has always been a verse that has really been fascinating to me. Does anybody have an idea? Why would you think that that Jesus would say, it's so interesting that I'm actually in this chapter with these verses in my discipleship with Coach Weiner at the Mavericks, and this afternoon he sent me back his answer to this question. So I've got his to go by. But I'm just curious, what would you say is the reason Jesus said this? Anybody want to throw something out there? Why would Jesus say, I got to go, and it's better for you, disciples, that I go so the Holy Spirit will come? David Cook back there has got an answer. God's will is coming through the Holy Spirit. I'll buy that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a pretty common answer. Most people would say, I think if you kind of studied a bunch of different commentaries, they would say, you know, that the answer they would come up to is, you know, Jesus could only be in a certain number of places, but the Holy Spirit is, is everywhere, which I think is a really good answer. But I don't, in my personal opinion, the commentary according to Scott, which 
it means about as much as you get out of it, okay? But for me, here's what I get when I read this and when I think about this, because it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me that Jesus talking to the disciples would say, listen, I'm going to leave and it's better for you, right? Because Jesus was walking with them. So kind of the whole argument that it's better because Jesus can't be everywhere doesn't really hold up great as it relates to the disciples. Now, the fact that he was setting forth words that we would be talking about today, that does. But in the context of when he said this to the disciples, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Because if I were the disciples, I'd say, oh, time out, time out. No, 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 it's way better for you to be here because I get to follow you around and you get to lead me and you get to teach me and I can understand all these things. And, and by the way, you can do all the dirty work. You can do all the dirty work because because to me what this does and, and what this is all about is, is that Jesus is saying, listen, you can go from being uh, bystanders just looking at me to getting in the game. You can do it yourself because that's really, if you think about his, another interesting thing I was studying today, there's really, before the Holy Spirit fills the disciples, you know, there's really no accounts of them ever doing any kind of miracles or anything like that. There's one spot where it talks about where they come back and they say, you know, we can even cast out demons in your name. But it doesn't give you any real description of that. Because the reality of it is the disciples, they were like little puppy dogs, right? They were following Jesus along while he was doing everything. But when he left and the Holy Spirit comes in and fills our lives, then we can do it also. Now, that doesn't mean that we're God, right? We're, we're not saying that you become Jesus, but Jarrett was all around this passage tonight in, in service. But turn over to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. Just got to flip the other way. Past Acts. Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read a few verses here starting in verse 14. I think that speaks to this. Verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I could add in daughters there as well. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Think about that. Fellow heirs with Christ. That's what it means to have God inside of you. We're adopted as, as children of God. Not as, not that we become a God, but listen, we shrink back too much from really accepting that we have power. Amen. We have power. We, we don't want to talk about that or we don't want to think about it. It's like we're so afraid we're going to cross over this line or something. We just can't accept the fact that the Holy Spirit in us, God inside of us, allows us to do things that we can't do otherwise. But man, that's hard for us to get our head around. But I look at these, I look at the early church, I look at the disciples, I look at what they did. They would have had no chance without the Holy Spirit working through them. Zilch. Without that, we're just like everybody else. We're just flailing away through life. We're not going to accomplish God's purpose and God's will. There's no way we can be that church unless we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. 
And listen, I've talked about this a bunch of times in the past, but it's worth, it's worth reviewing one more time because I think it's so critical because it's, it's the first part. If you don't have this, we're never going to be a church. This class, nobody in here, us as a unit, we're never going to be that church unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Just not going to happen, okay? So two things, two important questions. One, first, how do you get the Holy Spirit inside of you? Anybody? This is an easy one right here. So this is not a complicated one. I accept Christ, right? But I'm going to give you a second question that's equally as important that nobody wants to ever think about either. How do you access that? We've talked about this too. How do you access that Holy Spirit? Because, listen, the reality of it is, Jared's talking about all in. Okay, we got... I don't know how many thousands of members, and I don't know how many thousands of people sit out there, but the reality of it is there's a lot of them that tell you they're Christians, and they're definitely not all in, all right? They're definitely not all in. They show up, come, leave, have the Starbucks or whatever coffee we're having, and they go home, okay? So there's got to be something that's different. If you accept the fact, and I do, that the Holy Spirit is locked inside of their life, if they actually did believe, then what? How do you access this? What's the answer to that? Anybody? Listen, to me, it's very simple. You could overcomplicate this. You could talk about it a bunch of different ways. What do you say? Oh, I like that. That's it. That's, that's it to me. You just got to ask. You got to ask. Just open up your mouth and ask and surrender to him. That's what it's all about. I mean, I love Luke 9.23, right? That says, if you want to be my follower, what? That you got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me and by definition, denying yourself is surrendering to God. That's what all ends all about right there. Luke 9, 23. And if we don't do those two things, if we're not believers that have surrendered to God and have the Holy Spirit in us, working through us, we have no chance of being that church. No chance. Number two. Man, feels like one was a tough one. Number two. Always I could put always in there a bunch of times. Be ready to share your faith. Always be ready to share your faith, to be a light. I mean, it's a command of Scripture, right? It says always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. That's what 1 Peter 3.15 says. And it says at the end of it, something we always forget, do it with gentleness and respect. That's a, that's a, that's a part of that verse a lot of people like to leave out. But here in this context, going back to chapter 13, I love that there in, in, if you look in verses 14 and 15, poor Paul, he's went in, it says that he sat down on the Sabbath day, he's went into a, a synagogue, he basically, it's Sunday, and he's going to church. Maybe he needed a, probably a day, he was probably trying to go in and get nourishment of the word, if you will, and he's sitting down and he's listening to the preacher, and the preacher reads the Bible and goes through what they do that day, and then what does he do? He looks over and he says, hey, you, Kelly... All right, you got something to say? Come on up. I want you to say it. So he calls him out. I mean, I don't know if Paul's expecting this or not, but it says right there, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, I want you to say it. But listen, Paul is ready. It's when he stands up. It says he stands up and he starts motioning with his hands, and then he basically just shares the gospel. I mean, I read it a few minutes ago, but I was going to illustrate it because I haven't done it in a while, and I think it's important. Greg Laurie talked the other day about you need to know how to explain the gospel. I don't know, three minutes or four minutes, I forget what he said. But one of the things we've talked about a lot in this class is the three circles. We've been through the three circles a lot, right? And I could take that three circles and I can actually line it up to his sermon. All right, because the three circles 
what does it talk about? It's got this one circle over here that's about brokenness, right? It's about brokenness. And that's what he's trying to tell them. He's like, you spent 450 years in slavery and, and wandering in the wilderness because you were disobedient. You were in a state of brokenness, okay? A complete state of brokenness. And, and you tried all kinds of things. You tried all kinds of idols. You did all kinds of things. And what does it say there? That God put up with them. He basically put up with them while they were chasing all of these other things. But then he says, listen, God in his great mercy though, he sent you this, this other, this savior, okay? This access, this pathway to salvation in the form of Jesus Christ. And he talks about how he sent him to be your savior, to, to give you the gift of salvation. And he talked about how he was murdered on a cross. I think it says the exact word, he was executed, by Pilate, talks about his death. And then what else does it say? He was raised by God. He's just presenting the gospel. And then what else does he say? Then he says over there in verses 38, 39, he says, okay, and if you will believe, if you will believe in, in this, if you believe in this, then guess what? Okay, guess what? You're going to get freed. That word that they talk about right there that he mentions a couple of different times, he says everyone who believes is freed. This word, if you look back in the Greek, you know what this means? Jared talked about it if you're paying attention tonight. It says this means that you've been justified. That's what that freed means. And you've been justified and freed so that you can now have another relationship with God. You can go back to the way it was intended because now you've been freed, justified, and reconciled to God. And when that happens, this gulf right here of sin, okay, it's broken. God doesn't remember that anymore. And that's what Paul does. That's the story of salvation. That's the gospel right there. And I didn't follow all the exact three circle stuff, but that's what he does to him. He stands up, they call him, they say, Paul, listen, I'm glad you're here today. Thanks for joining us for service. Now come up and share the gospel. And that's what he does. He steps up, tells them about salvation. You know, the other thing, I, you, know, you look at this and I think, you saw how fast and easy I, I did that. We can all do that, right? We all need to be ready for that. I know it can be scary. I know it can be hard. But it just takes a little bit of work to, to think about this and understand it and get, get your mind wrapped around what Jesus did. Because if you really know, if you're really a Christian and you really understand salvation, you'll understand this. Okay? But listen, here's the other thing I would tell you. Being a light isn't just about being able to do the three circles. You know, sometimes light is just there. Right? Sometimes light is just there. You know, sometimes it's just uh, the, the ministry of presence I talk about a lot. And I heard it this week. I was over the night uh, that our sweet Ruth that sits here all the time with, with uh, Gary and Cinda when she passed away. I went over there and I sat that night with Gary and Cinda just to be with them and pray with them. And, and when I'm sitting there before I leave, though, the one thing Gary has to tell me, he's like, listen, I just want to tell you this. Uh, you know, I had my surgery, and he had this surgery. It was complicated, quadruple bypass. He's about to have another surgery, going through a tough time. He said, I was in the hospital that morning. He said, and Darren Williams came by from the class. He said, he walked in there with me. He said, I wasn't really expecting it. Darren came by, and he said that I was terrified. He said, I was so scared. He said, I just, I didn't know if I'd make it through this. I, I was shaking. I was scared. And he said, the moment that Darren started to pray, just a great peace came over my life. And he said he was praying with such boldness that all the nurses and all the people there started listening. And he could tell how it infect, affected and changed them. 
just one example. I know there's a bunch of examples in this class that it really doesn't have to be this. This is not the only way. Being a light sometimes just means being there. But you got to be ready. Got to be ready. You don't know when that is going to come up, and you don't know who's watching. You got to always be ready. Always be ready. And number three, my last lesson, I'll try to go through this fast. But I think it's important, and it's interesting, because I had only two. And at one o'clock in the morning last night, I woke up, and I don't know why, God prompted, and I sat down for about an hour and a half, and I rewrote all of this to add this last part. And when I added this last part, I was wondering kind of exactly why until I came into church today. And I, as I'm walking down to service, a couple of people telling me about difficult things that have happened in their life. And at the same time, I've got three different messages on my phone about people going through difficult times. About Satan just in their life and, and trying to hurt them and distract them. And then I knew why God put this in there. And my number three is never let Satan back you down. Never let Satan back you down. I mean, listen, Bar Jesus could have done that here to Paul, right? The first thing they encounter when they come off and leave Antioch is this demon-possessed magician that comes at them hard. I mean, listen, they could have easily said, hey, I'm out. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. I'm done. I'm not going any further. Back to Antioch. I like the church. They're nice to me. I'm going home. In fact, John, uh, Mark, he did leave. He got to the next stop. He's out of there. And we'll find out in chapter 15, Paul wasn't too happy about this. All right? He's like, that guy's not going back with me. He's a quitter. No more. All right? He's gone. So he could have done the same thing, right? But what does Paul do there in verse 9? I love this. I love this. I love this. It says, Paul, who was called, Paul filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Man, I love that. He stared him down. He stared Satan down. Because that's all that, that was. That's just Satan working through Bar Jesus. He's just a vessel for, he's even called him the son of the devil. He stared him down. And what else did he do? He pushed through the darkness. He pushed back the darkness with light. And what happened? God wins. Consula comes to Christ. He believed. Paul pushed through it. Listen, the devil, that's their whole motive. That's his whole motive is try to keep people from Jesus. He wants to destroy, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we may not always see it, this visual in a bar Jesus, but I'm going to promise you, everybody in here has experienced this. Everybody in here has experienced this in some form or the other. Maybe it's, maybe it's witnessing. Maybe you're out trying to share your faith and what happens? Whoa, you get scared, right? Fear overcomes. Insecurities overcome. I can't do this. I don't know enough about this. I can't do this or that. And you get scared and the devil, the devil backs you down. The devil backs you down. That's exactly what happens. Or maybe in your life, you've got good things going. You're on a roll. You're, you've made three Bible fellowship classes in a row. You're like, wow, I'm going on now. And what happens? The devil puts something in your, in your path. You get sick. You get whatever. And then, then the next thing you know, one becomes two and becomes three. And then you're not reading your Bible. And then you're not meeting with people. And, and what's he done? He sidetracked you. He's taking you away from God, but we can never, ever, ever let that happen. When he tries to sidetrack you or when he gives you bad circumstances, I mean, I think about, I think about like circumstances like Rachel or, or Bailey's mom and dad. When he gives you that, you got to stare him down, okay? You got to stare him down. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot let him win. And you know, and sometimes you got to do what it says there at the end, shake it off. 
that, that whole term there that they're talking about, that, that was used by the Jews when they would leave Gentile homes and Gentile areas to shake the dust off of their feet. But in this context, it's used to describe the judgment of God. So that, that's what Rachel did. That's what Bailey's mom did. She just said, listen, I'm going to shake this off because judgment is God's. That's not my place. It's not my role to be judge. I'm going to go be the light. I mean, listen, we're going we're gonna to get hurt in life. We're going to have bad things happen. There's just no way around it. But we can never, ever let the devil win. The stakes are just too high. I said it before. I've, I'll say it again. There is probably somebody in your life that you are the only person between them and hell. You're the only person. You can't back down. You can't let Satan push you off. You got to stare him down. And one of the things I, I was reading to this point, I, I love this quote that Jim Dennison put in one of his devotionals this week. It just said this, if we're holding the only flashlight in a dark room, the darkness is either our fault or our opportunity. Man, let that sink in. If, you're, if we're holding the only flashlight in a dark room, the darkness is either our fault, we haven't turned on the light, or it's our opportunity. Maybe we can. You know, when I look at the, the, the early church and I look at Paul in particular, I, I would say that there lies a person that took that opportunity, always shining the light. And now, to me, it's just our turn. And I, the one thing that I'll, I'll go on the record and make a promise, if we, this class, this church, this church, if we'll be filled with that Holy Spirit, if we'll stand ready and be firm, be firm, we can be that church again. And I guarantee you, just like that church changed the world, we can do the same thing. Yeah. can never underestimate the power of God. Amen? Amen? All right, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this class. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the way it speaks to us. God, I pray that, Lord, this class, this, this church, this is your church, God. Your church, Lord. And I pray, God, that we would be that church again. God, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, God. Equip us for whatever comes our way, Lord. Never let Satan interfere with your will. I know, God, that with the power of your Holy Spirit inside of us, we can do anything, anything for the kingdom of God. And it's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.